am Eleanor Carroll, and welcome to the AMS show. Today, we have the, our special guest, Dr. Liz Meter, the intern principal of the Aspen Middle School. Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Liz, how did you become interested in becoming an educator? Well, Eleanor, it's a long story. About 40 years ago, I lived in Juneau, Alaska, mm -hmm. and I wanted to go to graduate school. And the only options I had at the University of Alaska were fisheries, science, or education. And so I decided that I wanted to be a teacher instead of a fisheries biologist. And I'm really glad that I made that decision. Um, what would you have done if you were a fisheries biologist? Though? If I was a fisheries biologist, I would be living in the South Pacific studying tropical fish. Wow. What is your philosophy of education? My philosophy of education comes from those days of living in Alaska where there were a lot of kids that had um, struggled economically and their education was very rote and um, not very creative. Mm -hmm. And I realized that poor kids have a different educational experience than rich kids. Mm -hmm. So that helped me to really look into issues of equity and social justice in schools. And that informs my philosophy because I think that School is a place, it's a public institution, and it's a place where everyone should have access to rich curriculum, engaging and exciting experiences, high-quality teachers, and buildings that have heat and air conditioning and, and all those things. So I, I think my philosophy is really about providing children with um, the same kinds of experiences so that they can go on into society and be whatever they want to be, do whatever they want to do, and that they're not limited by the education that they had. Wow, okay. Why is project-based education so good for students? Project-based learning is a really exciting way to teach kids. If you think about the real world, when we're learning about things in the real world, we're learning about a variety of pieces about a topic or a place. For example, if you go to a beach and you see that there's trash on the beach, you might pick it up and you might be curious about, I wonder why there's so much trash on this beach and you might want to do something about it. So for me, in the real world, you're really following your curiosity and following your passions. And so project-based learning takes that kind of experience and puts it into the school. So a school that's running project-based learning, um, an example might be that kids are wanting to learn about where their water comes from. And so they can do all kinds of research, talk to experts, go to the water district, 
figure out what lakes and streams and ditches feed their water supply, look at the watershed from that area, um, and then really think about, is there some kind of action we need to take? Is, is the water supply threatened? Is there um, information that we should be sharing with other people based on what we've learned? So project-based learning is a way to look holistically at a topic or an issue and then to share what you've learned with others, to educate others. And it's a very engaging, real-world way to, to learn. So you're learning about your writing while you're doing project-based learning. You're engaged in mathematics, history, community studies. There's a lot of different pieces of the curriculum that you're engaged in. And that's why it's such an important part of how kids can learn. Mm -hmm. How long have you taught in the Roaring Fork Valley? I moved to the Roaring Fork Valley in 1985. Mm -hmm. And my kids went to the Aspen Community School. So I would go with them oftentimes. And I had been a teacher in Alaska so my friend Annie Teague, who taught at the community school for a long time, she was the kindergarten teacher, she asked me if I would like to team teach with her. So that was in about 1989, I think. Um, so Annie and myself and Chris Faison and um, Michael Mulry was there, um, Stevie Pruden. There was a lot of great teachers at the community school. And uh, I stayed there for three years. And while I was there, I really got interested. I was working on my master's degree. And I really got interested in theories of education because the community school had a really different approach to education. It was very much very child-centered following the kids' interest, figuring out what kids wanted to learn about, and then going in that direction. Um, so I got interested in theories of education. And uh, after about three years at the community school, I decided I wanted to get my PhD. And so I left and went down to Boulder to CU and started working on my doctorate. Um, so I left the valley for a few years, came back here, and I was when I came back, I was the principal of the Aspen Community School, and have been in the valley off and on um, as principal or um, teacher educator. I ran a teacher education program here for a long time. I worked with George Stranahan, and we designed a program to help people learn how to be teachers that wanted to stay here in the valley and be teachers here in the valley. So I've only taught for a few years in the valley, but I've done a lot of other things in the field. Hmm. How do you build relationships with parents? Parents are really important partners in schools. Mm -hmm. They are critical to our deeper understanding, not only of the kids, but also of what the community wants. Every community wants something a little bit different for their children in school. And since school is a public institution, educators have a responsibility to respond to what the parents want. So I think 
the main way to build relationships is to be a good listener and to find out what they see as issues or uh, struggles or successes and celebrations of the school. And I think it's important to have events for parents, to think about parent education, to bring parents in for informal opportunities, such as volunteering. Various ways for them to be in the school are all really important ways to build mm -hmm. partnerships. Very. I understand you have worked in many different states and many different levels of education you have experienced. Can you tell us some of the highlights? Sure. Uh, one of the highlights was when I first got my PhD, I got to work in California at a university that was an experimental um, institution, and it was Cal State Monterey Bay. And this was a small university that um, was located at Fort Ord, which was at one time one of the largest military bases in California. And the um, government sold the military base to the state of California for one dollar and allowed the state to put this university on it. And so it was just a really exciting place to work because we were coming up with new um, new majors, new curriculum for students. And so I ran a master's degree program there called um, it was a master's in social justice. And the exciting thing about working there was that Monterey has a lot of people from all over the world that come to the, there's the Monterey Institute for International Studies, there's the Naval Postgraduate School, and so as a result, my classes were filled with people from all over the world that were in Monterey and wanted to get this degree in social justice. Um, I had students from Greece, from uh, Eastern Europe, from South America. So, so that was a real highlight for me being there. Um, another highlight for me, I worked at Lewis and Clark College in Portland, Oregon. And the highlight there was that it is a beautiful campus. If you can imagine, the Pacific Northwest is covered with these giant trees, beautiful, beautiful trees. And there was this hedge that ran all around the graduate school. And it was a very thick, wide hedge. And the graduate school at one time had been a convent so that it, our offices were these old dormitory rooms where nuns had lived. And each door had a little teeny tiny window in the door where the mother superior would come along and peek in to make sure that the nuns were asleep. So that was kind of fun. And then going back to the hedge, um, there was a secret tunnel inside the hedge. And when I first started working there, another one of the professors came up to me and she said, come here. I want to show you something. And so I followed her outside. She was this really spry, you know, kind of interesting college professor. 
So I couldn't figure out where she was taking me. And um, she said, come here, come here, come, come look in this hedge. And we get to the hedge and we see there's this little space carved out. And all of a sudden she went off running into this tunnel that was inside the hedge. So I thought, well, I guess I'm supposed to follow her. And I'm tall, she was little. So I kind of crouched down and we were going running through this hedge and it turns out this tunnel went all the way around this convent, which was now the graduate school. Um, and it was, it was a secret, nobody knew about it except this, this professor. And probably the nuns used to go in there and, you know, hide from the mother superior. That was another highlight of my life as a college professor. And, and just to add on to that, uh, I lived in Boulder and ran a really cool school in Boulder called Watershed School. Watershed School, it's an independent school and it's very much a project-based school. The thing I liked the most about Watershed School was that the middle school kids were constantly out in the community interviewing people and learning about what was going on in Boulder. And that was really relevant to them. One uh, year, I took the eighth graders to San Diego so that we could learn about a um, little bit about marine biology, but mostly about the environment. And as I was saying earlier, with a project that looked at trash on the beach. So we took these kids to the beach and um, we actually camped at the beach. And I remember one one day I gave them each a bag and I said, let's go pick up trash on the beach. And we went down there and they said, there's no trash down here. There's no trash down here. This is a clean beach. So we were all walking along and there were these piles of seaweed. And all of a sudden the kids realized that in the piles of seaweed were these tiny pieces of plastic. And once you started kind of pulling these little pieces of plastic out of the seaweed, they realized that in fact the entire beach was covered with these little pieces of plastic. But you couldn't, you didn't see it right off when you first walked down there. It looked like it was just seaweed, but in fact, the seaweed had so much trash in it. And so we ended up, you know, pulling all this trash out and getting bags and bags and bags of trash. And then we actually made art out of the trash that we picked up. And that was a very cool project. So I've had a lot of great adventures with kids, with adults, with teachers, people that want to be teachers. I feel super lucky. I think my career has been very rich and rewarding. Back to the first highlight, um, did the kids who came from like all over the world, did they all speak English or different languages? They all spoke different languages and they were adults. Oh. Yeah, they were adults. So they also spoke English. But what's interesting about Monterey Bay, um, so I worked with teachers, right? And those were adults that were all either teachers or wanted to be teachers. But one of the places that we took those people that wanted to be teachers was an elementary school that had 47 different languages spoken. And we were trying to teach people 
how do you work in a setting where there's not a lot of English spoken and there's 47 different languages? How do you teach science or social studies or whatever? What would you do in that case? I think I would like get somebody else who would um who would like know some of the languages. I would get different people to help like teach them. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. That's a really great idea. What are some of the challenges facing the education in the Roaring Fork Valley? In the Roaring Fork Valley, um, broadly, I think the challenges have to do with um, just the variety of people that are in the different schools. So we have a lot of people that struggle economically. And I don't think that's well known. I think people assume that this is a beautiful valley, it's a gorgeous place to, to live. And the assumption is that if you can live here, you, you have the money to afford nice things. Um, but in fact, there's a lot of people that struggle and feel isolated and can't show up at school to volunteer. And so I think just figuring out how do we create schooling for all families, even the ones that maybe need school to look a little bit different. Um, so I think that's one, one piece. Um, I think another piece that is difficult in the Roaring Fork Valley is that we're kind of isolated here, and it's harder for teachers to go and see something that's really different that might inspire them to do something different in their class. So as a result, like if teachers want to go visit another classroom to learn something, we have to get in the car, we have to drive, we have to drive over mountain passes. So that sense of isolation, I think, is a little bit challenging, too. If you were able to improve education and had all the money you needed, what would you do? Oh boy, Eleanor, that's a really big question. I think what I would do is make sure that the money was able to pay for teachers' salaries. Um, so that, first of all, I would give more money to teachers. I think, they, I think that would elevate the status of the teaching profession if they made as much money as doctors or lawyers. Um, and then I would also want to make sure that there was money available so that a school could, in the middle of the year, decide to hire more people or start a different program I mean, teachers are so creative and so smart, and they often have ideas, but then they think, oh, well, I can't do that this year because we don't have any money. I have to wait till next year. I just think giving more access to those funds to the teachers so they could, you know, I'm going to take kids to for an immersion experience in Mexico so we can practice our Spanish or whatever that might be, I think, I think, dollars could actually help. But I also want to say I would, 
I would want to make sure that going back to one of our your original questions, I would want to make sure and elevate the level of education for all kids, whether it has to do with supplies, textbooks, curriculum, teachers, the building. I would want to put money into areas that were struggling and, and, and could really use that money. That's really interesting. What is one of the highlights of the year so far? Honestly, the highlight of the year has been experiencing the outdoor education that Aspen Middle School provides and seeing, you know, the just incredible piles of backpacks and the food and just the, the process that teachers and families and kids go through to get out in the woods or to go on a camping adventure in, at Arches or, you know, it, it's just been phenomenal to me to see how much time and energy goes into that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, outdoor ed is so, it's a, it's an amazing experience. It, it it's is. a lot of fun. Yeah. Ooh. I understand you went to Marvel for the eighth grade outdoor education base camp. Well, how was that? That was incredible. First of all, um, I thought I could just drive on in in my car. And luckily, and I was bringing the chicken. So that's kind of a big deal. I had, I think I had. Uh, two or three hundred pieces of chicken in my car because as the hikers came out of the the woods and entered base camp they wanted to have a nice hot meal for them so we picked up all this cooked chicken fried chicken mm. at city market and I thought oh I'll just drive on up there with the chicken in my car but it turns out the road the boulders on the road are about the size of this chair so my little car was not going to make it up to base camp with the chicken, and I was, I was quite nervous about that. Luckily, Jason Thomas, our assistant principal, has a huge pickup truck with huge tires. And so we were able to put the chicken in the back of the pickup truck. He met me in marble at the lake and transported the chicken and just driving up there was it was quite exciting i mean there were times when we were sideways on the road it's, it's pretty it was a pretty uh rough road so that was a big adventure and um and then on day two when i was there i got to go out and see all the climbing sites. So I started at the Tri Tyrolean Traverse and watched kids, you know, going across on this rope across the stream. And then from there, I went over to the climbing wall and watched kids that were just learning how to climb really conquer these slabs of granite. But the most exciting thing was I went up to the high rappel, and I had no idea what it was going to be like, but I got up there, and here's these kids on the edge of a cliff, roped in, <laughs> and ready to, you know, go 
back down, rappel down off of this. And it was super scary. And all of them were so brave and giving each other encouragement and, you know, really conquering their fears was quite impressive. Not to mention the fact that it marbles probably one of the prettiest places I've seen. It was, it was just gorgeous. So it was a really good experience. Yeah, that's a lot to say considering that you've lived in so many states, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. What would the students be surprised to find out about you? Hmm. Well, they might be surprised to find out that I have three children and three grandchildren. Yeah, so my two daughters are grown and live in Glenwood Springs. And that is why I moved back here from California, so I could be near the grandbabies. So I have three grandchildren. August is three. Fisher is one and a half. And Aquina is four months old. Yeah. What is the hardest thing about being a principal? The hardest thing about being a principal is that there is so much to get done in a day and you want to be present and available for every single person that wants to talk to you. And for me, I'm always torn because I want to be in the classrooms. I love observing people as they're teaching and kind of figuring out who the kids are and what they're responding to. I like being in that part of the, the building. So it's hard when you're in the office and, I mean, I get probably 100 emails an hour. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> and you sit there and you're like, oh, God, I need to answer that. I need to answer that. I need to call that person. Oh, my gosh, I need to do this. And, you, and, and then all of a sudden I look up at the clock. Oh, no, it's 3 o'clock. How did that happen? So that's the hard part. There's a lot to do. But it's really fun. It's really fun work. Very exciting. Nice. How can our school district keep great teachers working here? I think that we do have great teachers. We, I mean, the, the people that work in the Aspen School District, they're intelligent, they're motivated, um, they love kids, and they love living here. So I think, first of all, hiring the right people is really important and making sure that people come here because they really want to live here. I mean, this is a unique place to live. You know, you grew up here. Yeah. And it can be challenging to be in such a remote area that has difficulty getting in and out in the wintertime. For some people, that's hard. Some people love that. Mm -hmm. So I think hiring the right people is, is the first thing. But then as far as keeping them, we've got to have our salaries um, match the living expenses that are here. We need to be able to provide support for teachers so that they have time for planning, they can take vacations when they need to. It's a hard job. Mm -hmm. It is a really hard job and teachers work so hard and I think the more we can do to provide 
you know, just a little bit of breathing room in their lives, um, the better. Are you a skier? I am a skier, yes. And in fact, I taught my three kids how to ski, and they all became ski racers. And um, to this day, I can't keep up with them. <laughs> they actually, if I ski with my kids, they're like, Mom, you go over there. <laughs> That's your run. We're going to jump off this cliff here. Meet you at the bottom. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to share with us? Uh, let's see. It's just been such a pleasure to be here. I feel so grateful to be the interim principal. And um, it's the job itself is far more exciting and challenging and fun than I ever dreamed it would be. I'm, I feel very, very fortunate. I love the kids. The kids are just amazing, awesome children. So thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much, Liz, for being on the Aspen AMS show. Again, I'm Eleanor Carroll, and thank you so much for watching.